Good morning. It's good to see you here this morning. Um, I've had a few positive comments that I'm in a short and tie this morning. Um, I should just explain that I used to work in an office um, Monday to Friday and I would wear a shirt and tie every day so I've got a plethora of shirt and ties in the house that never get worn and so I get very few opportunities to wear one and so I like to wear one when I'm speaking. Um, as Tom has mentioned this is the last in our series of Psalms of Joy and if you have your Bible in front of you we're going to look at Psalm 148. Psalm 148. And it says there, Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights. Praise him all his angels. Praise him all his hosts. Praise him sun and moon. Praise him all you shining stars. Praise him you highest heavens and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded, and they were created, and he established them forever and ever. He gave a decree, and it shall not pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures in all deeps, fire and hail, snow and mist, stormy wind fulfilling his word, mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, beasts and all livestock, creeping things and flying birds, kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and rulers of the earth, young men and maidens together, old men and children. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name is exalted. His majesty is above earth and heaven. He has raised up a horn for his people. Praise for all his saints and for the people of Israel who are near to him. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we have so much to be thankful for. We sung earlier how we are ransomed, how we are healed restored, forgiven. As individuals, we're thankful for being in Christ. As a church, we are thankful for the ability for so many of us to share the gospel. This morning, Father, help me to be clear. May the Spirit use what what I say to speak into our lives and may we all have ears and hearts willing to hear your message. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> what a fantastic band we have at Seagate. We are so blessed to have so many gifted people at this church that are willing to take their time out to learn these songs and, and spend our time practicing before we come to hear them play and join with them. Now I play the guitar a little bit and I like to think I can sing. But there are times where I hear the piano being played here or the violin or the guitar or someone singing and I think, man, compared to them, I'm an unskilled musician. I wonder if you ever feel that way. 
Now, I know that's not the intent of the people playing in the band. And the majority of the time, I'm just thankful that they're playing so beautifully and that I have no um, pressure on me to play any instrument or to sing. But sometimes I feel like being up there, playing an instrument, is something I just don't have the skill for. And I want to show you today through this psalm that from the top of the heavens to the depths of the earth, all of nature sings God's glory. And if any psalm reveals the glory and grandeur of the worship of our Lord, it is this one. It's the purpose of the universe. It is made for worship. The universe comes into its own when worship takes place. And as humans, we alone are out of tune with the whole created order. We alone struggle to praise God. Maybe you're thinking, I praise God just fine, thanks. Didn't you hear me just singing? It was glorious. I want to show you that when through grace your soul begins to praise God, you come into harmony with the rest of the universe with everything that God has created. So let's look into the details of this wonderful psalm. It's split nicely into two sections. In the first six verses that we're going to look at first, it speaks about how the heavens praise the Lord. The heavens praise the Lord. Now, I'm not into poetry at all. I've never understood why you would bother to alliterate or the point of rhyme, rhythm and refrain. However, this psalm is carefully and beautifully put together. I don't know if it rhymed in its original language, but it doesn't rhyme in the translation that we have. But the writer has a purpose, and it's not simply to say that all of creation praises the Lord, although that is part of it. And it begins with a general call to praise. It says, praise the Lord. And then it goes on, praise the Lord from the heavens, praise him in the heights. It's starting from the very top of eternity, the top of everything, should praise the Lord. And then you'll notice that in these first four verses it works its way down. Praise him all the angels, all the hosts, sun and moon, all you shining stars, you highest heavens and waters above the heavens. It starts from the top of the heavens to the bottom of things outside the earth. And in verse 2, it talks about things that are alive, angels and hosts, beings who can think and speak and praise the Lord through their actions. I wonder what we think of when we hear about angels and hosts. Well, angels are the chorus leaders of praise. If you look at Revelation 5 from verse 11, it says there, Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, and ten thousand times ten thousand. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain 
to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honour and glory and praise. And in 1 Peter chapter 1 from verse 10 it says, As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you in these things which have now been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things into which angels long to look. And you see the angels get a new insight into the glory of God. There is a suggestion that with the angels being on high and being so unsinning that they could know all there is to know about God. But if we're to believe the psalmists and the apostles, every fresh aspect of God leaves the angels gasping in wonder. This psalm is not mere poetic imagination. But if it isn't, then what is it? Well, let's look at Romans 8 from verse 18. It says there, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, and hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Here we have the whole created order waiting with eager anticipation for the revealing of the sons of God and the completion of human redemption. When man is fully redeemed, creation itself will be brought into the glorious liberty of the children of God. And every deliverance foreshadowing that final redemption will awaken praise in the inanimate creation. And that is a glorious thought. Every time God works mightily on behalf of his people, every time God works mightily on behalf of an individual, there is a corresponding reaction in the whole of creation. In fact, Jesus said so in Luke 15 from verse 3. It says, then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you is a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he finds his friends and neighbours together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. It sets all the angels praising his name when a sinner is brought to repentance and faith in the Saviour. And all creation will join in that rejoicing. 
If it's like that now, what will it be like at the second coming of Christ and for eternity? And it goes on in verses 3 and 4. All the inanimate things in the heavens are praising the name of the Lord. The sun and moon and stars praise him by doing the job they were created to fulfill. And in verses 5 and 6, it gives the immediate reasons for the praise of the heavens. They are called to praise God simply by the fact of their existence. Simply by the fact God has ordered their existence according to his law and he has set bounds upon them. I wonder, do we ever think of praising God for the very fact of our existence? We have got things all wrong in the modern world. It's all about our rights, isn't it? Everyone has their rights. Well, as sinners, we have no rights. Sinners who offend the majesty of God. Indeed, we deserve to be destroyed. That we are alive today is by God's grace alone. And we should be grateful and thankful for each breath. Have you thanked God for life today? That's the thought of the Bible, you see. Praise him and be thankful because he created you and he gives you each breath. We have health, strength, sound mind, day-to-day comforts, and yet we grumble and we complain and we worry. Let us ask from him the grace of a thankful heart for being alive at all. And so we move on to the second stanza, another phrase we dislike from verse 7. And we move from the heavens praising the Lord to the earth praising the Lord. And the order is reversed. We start from the deepest part, the sea creatures and the ocean depths. And that's followed by demonstrations of God's power in the atmosphere. To us, storms are unpredictable and they seem to be out of our control. But we are assured that they are accomplishing God's will. And the storms are not only the, the storms we see outside. This is relevant for the storms in our own life. The storms you might be going through just now. We are assured, whatever the storm is, that it is accomplishing God's will and that he is in control. We then move from the sea and atmosphere to the land where God has provided trees and for food and trees for building and animals and small creatures and birds. Now, it's not often that I see a wasp and think, praise the Lord. Or that I hear a flock of seagulls and thank the Lord for their existence. But this psalm tells us that each of these creatures is praising the Lord in their own way. 
and men were made in the image of God. We are therefore the highest creatures in God's creation. And if any of God's creation has good reason to praise the Lord, it is mankind. Because we have the privilege of knowing God more intimately. And we have the promise of one day being like Christ. I mentioned earlier that angels rejoice when sinners are saved. But they cannot experience the grace of God in the same way. A man called Derek Kidner wrote regarding verses 11 and 12, which is about mankind. In these few lines, quite incidentally, and with unforced simplicity, we have the only potential bond between the extremes of mankind. A joyful preoccupation with God. And Alexander McLaren wrote, All men without distinction of rank, age or sex, have the same obligation and privilege of praise. Kings are most kingly when they cast their crowns before him. Judges are wise when he sits, when they sit as his vicegerents. The buoyant vigour of youth is purest when used with, with remembrance of the creator. The maiden's voice is never so sweet as in hymns to Jehovah. The memories and feebleness of age are hallowed and strengthened by recognition of the God who can renew feeling energy and soothe sad remembrances. And the child's opening powers are preserved from stain and distortion by drawing near to him in whose praise the extremes of life find common ground. I thought that was beautiful when I read it. When we worship we are in our proper place. We are most ourselves when we worship. We are most what we should be when our hearts are given to worship. When we're worshipping and praising God in our day-to-day -day lives, we are in tune with his creation. So why was this psalm written? Was it simply to tell us that all of creation worships God. I want to give you a small insight um, into the process I use when I am um, putting a sermon together. Um, for this sermon I read the psalm several times and I, I took some notes about what I thought the psalm was saying and that's the gist of what I got. All of creation worships God. And then I open up some, some books from far wiser men than me that have written things about this psalm. And the key verse in this psalm is something that I completely missed. Something that I didn't understand. And I'm telling you this because we need to look at these things. When we read the Bible blindly, sometimes we miss things. And it's worth reading the Bible with another book open to help us to understand what it's saying because sometimes we overlook it. The material in this psalm echoes and is echoed by Revelation 5. I read a part earlier. But I want to read from verse 9 in Revelation 5. It says, And they sang a new song, 
saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, and ten thousand times ten thousand. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain, to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength, and honour and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth, and under the earth and on the sea, and all that is in them, saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honour and glory and power forever and ever. Four living creatures said, Amen, and the elders fell down and worshipped. Now this is a song in Revelation 5, and this song is based on the fact that the Lamb was slain for our redemption, that Jesus died for our sins on the cross. And in the Psalm 148, at verse 14, it says, He raised up a horn for his people. And this is another illustration of redemption. We see in Luke chapter 1 verse 69 that it says, He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Of course this is referring to Jesus. When you read the Psalms there has to be a Christian interpretation. You see the primary application of this passage is that God has restored his people from exile, from Babylon. That is why the psalm was written. Verse 14 is all about what God has done for his people. His name has been exalted in what God has done. That's the point. It was always when God acted that he was exalted. When he visited and redeemed, redeemed his people, it was always something God had done that people celebrated. He delivered them out of Egypt. He de delivered them out of Babylon and from exile. And this psalm is not confined to the one deliverance. It foreshadows the coming of Christ to deliver his people from sin and death. In Ephesians 3 from verse 7, Paul wrote, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's what the psalmist is getting at here. New aspects of the manifold wisdom of God are demonstrated by every fresh act of divine mercy. Isn't this true in our experience? 
friends of mine had been trying for a baby for many years. It just wasn't happening for them. And as their friends, one by one, were becoming pregnant, there were many tears over the injustice that they could not become pregnant. And there was many prayers lifted up over several years. And one day, through the tears, someone said to them that they might need to accept that they might never become pregnant. That worshipping God through the pain and disappointment was crucial to their Christian walk. A week later, the couple realised that they were six weeks pregnant. You see, we pray to God, and when our prayers are answered, we are filled with thanksgiving and joy. But it's not just thanksgiving and joy. There is a sense of wonderment as we learn something new about God. We think this is something I've never seen before. God is indeed mighty, and his ways are different. Finally, I want you to see the contrast for the reason given for praise between verses 5 and 6 and verses 13 and 14. In verse 5 it says, Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded and they were created. In verse 13, Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. The heavens praise the name of the Lord because they exist. Verse 6 explains that God's glory in the natural world is his reign of law. But man may praise the Lord consciously, as God has revealed himself as a mighty God, and amongst his people his glory is his redemptive love. He has raised up a deliverer for his people. And above all, that deliverance brings his people near to him. That's the ultimate source of our rejoicing and our praising and our worship. We who once were far off, having no hope without God and without Christ in the world, are saved by his precious blood. That's the source of our joy. That's the origin of our worship and praise. So let's try to understand what this psalm means for us and why it was chosen as a psalm of joy. I mentioned at the start that mankind was out of tune with the rest of the universe. Well, this psalm makes it clear that the rest of the universe, from the highest heavens to the deepest sea, everything is praising the Lord. But there are times when we don't Praise the Lord. In fact, it may well be that for this one hour each week is the only time where any worship of God takes place in our lives. Perhaps for the rest of the week we're too busy worshipping other idols. And joy 
well, we're so concerned with how our children are doing, or how much money we have, or how healthy we are, amongst other concerns, that we rarely have time for joy. But in the book of James, chapter 1, verse 2 and 3, it says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance. I remember working through this book as part of the men's group about three years ago, and, and we talked for a long time about what the meaning of this was. Count it all joy, my brothers. You see, we're not going to be happy all the time. Life's too difficult and unpredictable for that. So where does this joy come from? Now, I've mentioned it already this morning. Verse 14 says he has raised up a horn for his people. The joy for the Israelites was their deliverance from exile. Our joy is our deliverance from sin and death. Our joy is knowing that Jesus came down from heaven to be crucified for our sins. Our joy is that he'd done it for you and I. If you read this psalm again with Jesus in mind, you will see how much greater he is than anything or anyone mentioned. For he is the creator of all things. He is captain of all the hosts of the Lord. He is the son of righteousness and the morning star. During his time ministering in earth, he demonstrated that he had power over storms, trees and animals. He revealed the father's name and he glorified that name. And all that he was said or did, in all things, Jesus Christ is greater. So if you need a reason to worship the one who created you, who loved you since before you were born and showed that love by dying for you on the cross, then this is it. Worship him because he loves you. Praise him because you love him and you want to honour. Worship him because the pain and suffering he went through on the cross was to bless you. Praise him because he came down from heaven to give his life for yours. Worship him because you've been delivered from sin and death by Jesus. Praise him because as Satan tempts you to despair and tells you of the guilt within, you can look up and see him there. He made an end to all your sins. So join in the choir of the universe. Raise your voice to the Lord and thank him and praise him with everything that you are. Let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, when we try to praise you, sometimes we can sense that we're out of tune, but we're extremely unskilled musicians. And as we've already sung, we've asked 
tune my heart to sing thy grace. By the truth of your word and by the moving of the Spirit in our hearts. Father, glorify yourself before the world and put forth your power to unite the extremes of humankind in the church of Jesus Christ. Unite the races, the classes, the genders, the tribes, all in praise of you. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.